and welcome to Devotions on the Psalms, Israel's Songbook, a podcast by Christ Lutheran Church in Brea, California. Hello, welcome to the Psalm Devotions. This is Pastor Eric, and we are on Psalm 78. So, as always, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the good gifts that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we pray that you would constantly strengthen us through your word, through these stories of your greatness, of your steadfastness, of your faithfulness. Help it to strengthen us. Help it to give us repentant hearts, but also bold trust in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible with you and you're looking at Psalm 78, you're going to see it's really big. So we're not actually going to read the whole thing together, but I really encourage you to check it out. It's not that long. You can read it. But I want to just look over, well, I guess the bigger points. Because what it's doing is it is telling the story, basically, of the people of Israel from the time of Jacob, who, remember, his name was changed to Israel. So from his time all the way to the time of King David. But I think it's really interesting how the writer of this psalm is presenting it. Because it's a story... And the reoccurring theme is the unfaithfulness of God's people, but the faithfulness of God. So we're going to look at a couple of those points. So this is a mascal of Asaph. And Asaph is an author we don't really know much about, but he's the author of several of these psalms. So it begins, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, and the wonders of what he has done. And I just want to stop right there and talk about one of the um, big themes of the Bible is that we have to carry on this story. We're all a part of this great, magnificent, cosmic story of God's redemption. And we're playing our parts, and part of the part that we're playing is learning from those who came before us and passing it on to those coming after us. Each one of us, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what position you are in life, part of what we're doing is learning so that we can teach. Part of what we're doing is always teaching. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a pastor. It doesn't matter where you work or what family you're around. Your actions are going to speak about where your trust is, where your faith is. And we are always to be, well, I don't want to say quite preaching, but we're always to be showing where our faith is in our words and our actions. And even more explicit, we should say that in families, it's the duty of mothers and fathers to share the stories of God's word. That's one of the reasons we're going through this kid's Bible Um, on Sunday mornings. Pastor Pat and I are teaching through this kid's Bible. And the hope is to equip families to be able to teach this truth. Because certainly, um, as pastors, we love teaching you. It's one of the things that we find most joy in. But parents have a special role that not even pastors can replace. We have to remember Martin Luther, when he wrote the small catechism, wrote it to families. He didn't write it for pastors necessarily to teach um, confirmation kids, although it's a great tool for that, but for families to teach their children. And so this is so incredibly important that those of us who are older are teaching the next generation. Um, someone once said, and I can't think of it on the top of my head, but the church is always one generation away from dying. And it's the responsibility of this generation 
to continue to pass it on to the next. All right, so let's go a little bit ahead, and we're going to have to jump through this um, psalm. Like I said, it's very long. Well, then we get introduced to Jacob, and I want to just point out one of the verses. This is verse 8, and it says, And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And we're going to see this again and again in this psalm. And after all, you see it again and again in the Old Testament. And sadly, in the New Testament, too, is that we as a people, we as humans, we're stubborn and rebellious. That's naturally what we do. We resist God's word. We want to follow our own ways. We don't want to follow anyone else's ways. And we can't submit to God. Um, And this is tragic. And it leads to all sorts of terrible destruction. We are called to submit to God. And this is one thing with America. Don't get me wrong. I, I love America very much. But when we focus too much on independence in the face of everything else, well, that's an issue. Because as human beings, we weren't actually made to be totally independent. We were made dependent. Dependent on God first and foremost. But in a very real way, we are dependent on another. God created us to live in community. And that is... That's why rebellious is such a bad thing in this. It's because you're rebelling against the proper authority that God set over us. For instance, look at the Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments there so that we can demonstrate um, how much we love God? Or are they there to ruin all our fun? Not at all. The Ten Commandments are there because they're actually good for you. If you follow the Ten Commandments in your life, you're going to have a much better life than if you don't. God's rules are actually a gift to us. God's saying, don't go there, don't touch that, that's hot. But unfortunately, ever since Adam and Eve, and we continue it on, we say, no, I don't, I don't really care what you say, God. I'm going to go my own way because I think I know better than you. But it's always disastrous. And we see this again and again in this psalm, in verse 22. Because they did not believe in God, they did not trust in his saving power because of that God was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. So again, what is the root of all this? What is the root of all this this sin and all this trouble? It's unbelief. It's not trusting God. It's saying, no, God, I think I know better. Ah, God, I know you said not to worship those idols, but you know what? It looks pretty fun. And you know what? I kind of like what they're doing. So I'm going to go ahead and do it, God. I, I know that you said not to, but... Frankly, I don't really care. And that's what all our sin is. God, I know you said that I should repent and apologize. God, I know you said I shouldn't be prideful. But you know what? It's really fun to do that. And I see the rest of the world doing it. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. Sorry, God. And it leads to destruction. All right, let's keep going. This is uh, verse 34. When he killed them, this is God. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high, and their redeemer. So basically, God let them get the consequences of their sin. And then finally, they repented and it brought them back. And this happens again again, again and again in the book of Judges. Uh, It also happens after even David when the people are exiled and they finally return. They repent. But we'll see this repentance isn't what it should be. And this is verse 36. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. 
So this is again, it's even when they do turn back, oftentimes it's just empty words. They're just going through the motions. Um, they're just saying, oh, well, I don't really like being punished, so I guess I'll go through these motions, so maybe I won't get punished so badly. And this is what's so sad is all the things, all the things that God puts in place, um, like his sacrificial system, like the Ten Commandments, all these different things, they're not things so that we can earn God's favor or if we put enough coins in the machine, we get the good results that we want. God's giving us all these for our for a relationship with him. That's what he wants. That's why God can regularly say, hey, it's not sacrifices I'm actually after. I desire mercy, not sacrifices. What's a true sacrifice is a broken and contrite spirit. That's what's truly important. And yet even from all this stuff, even though Israel's constantly rejecting God, even though they're constantly, well, not doing what's right, what does God do? This is verse 38. Yet he being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not come again. And so this, even more specifically, uh, in verse 38, we see he atoned for their iniquity. Now, we know in the Old Testament that was through a ritual sacrificing process, but those really just pointed ahead to Jesus, who's ultimately the only one who can pay for our iniquity. And it's because of Jesus Christ, his being willing to go to the cross and face that destruction that our sin brought, that we are not destroyed. And so all this forgiveness, all this grace that God gives the Israelites, it's all this foretaste of God's ultimate grace through Jesus Christ. And it's all pointing ahead to that. All right, it continues on and we see it goes through the story of Egypt and the story of the plagues, um, which is very interesting. It's a little recounting of the story of the plagues, all the awesome things that God has done. And yet still, the people of Israel are following after idols. And the very end of this psalm is a little bit interesting because it splits into two different groups, the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Israel. And this gets into a little bit of history, uh, but it's important for us to know um, this history of the Bible. And that is that the northern tribes, uh, after King Solomon, Israel split into two different nations, the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdom, or the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And in the north, there were no good kings, no kings who trusted God, no kings who followed him. In the south, they were a little bit better. There were five good ones out of a whole lot of bad ones. But in the north, the north is eventually destroyed by Assyria because they never returned to God. They never turned back. Instead, they trusted in their idols um, and they wouldn't trust in God. So God gave them over. And that's why it says here, even though it sounds a little bit strange, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. Saying God gave him over um, because they wouldn't follow him. But, we see, but he chose the tribe of Judah. And that's the southern tribe. Um, and this is actually the line that would eventually, the bloodline that would eventually go to Jesus. Jesus is in the tribe of Judah because he's a descendant of David. And David would be the quintessential king of the Old Testament who actually trusted in God, who would actually repent, who actually was a man after God's own heart. And God did choose David. Again, not because David was the strongest, 
it was because David trusted God. And that's, it's so cool. When you go back and read the story of David fighting Goliath, why it is David special? Because David says, I know Goliath. Yeah, you're way stronger than me. You've got way better armor. That's not what it's about. I'm not really coming at you with the sling and with rocks. I'm coming at you with the living God. And he's the one who's going to give me victory. Not you, not me. It's all God. And it's that kind of radical faith, which is so awesome. And through David's line, we would see an even, we will, we have seen an even greater king. And that, of course, is Jesus. And Jesus is truly God's chosen one. The one who would pay for all our sins. The one who will ultimately fix this world in every single way. So that with all this terrible stuff that we see in the news, we say, come Lord Jesus, because we know he's the one that will restore everything. And ultimately, this psalm, even though it's a history of Israel, it's really a history that's pointing to Jesus Christ and the ultimate salvation of a rebellious people, mostly the rebellious people, you and me. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gift. Lord, we thank you for these stories of those who have gone before us. Lord, correct us through them. Give us humility. Guide us. We pray this all in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, it has been wonderful to see you. God's peace. Bye. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, follow Christ Bray on all social media outlets and visit ChristBray.org.